Good morning, LAFC. That was a lot better than when Ed asked, so well done. You learned. Uh, my name is Tyler Morris, and I am the Director of Middle School Ministries here at LAFC, and it is my joy, genuine joy and privilege to be able to speak the word uh, this morning. I thoroughly enjoy it and love it. We are going to be continuing into our series in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to chapter 5. If you do not, ushers are coming by right now. Just put your hand up, and then they would love to give you one. You may also follow along in the YouVersion app. If you click the bottom right that says more and then go to events, LEFC should show up there. While you are turning there, um, I want to mention something about how I'm approaching this sermon and then in turn how I think you should approach this sermon as well. My job and my role is not to merely convey some information to you all. My job and my role is not to just share some nice truths from God's word. And your job this morning is not just to agree with it and just say, I agree, that's good, that's right, that's true. God's word is far more dynamic than just truth. It is a truth, the truth, that transforms us. So God's word can change how we think. God's God's word can change how we feel. And God's word can change how we act. So my goal is not information this morning. My hope is that the Lord would bring transformation. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, for me, it means that by God's power and spirit alone, I rely on him to preach boldly, clearly, correctly, and exalt Jesus Christ. And on your behalf, it means by the spirit alone, you humble yourselves and ask the Lord to speak to you and transform you by his word. For whoever has ears, let them hear. So in order that I may fulfill my role, in order that you may fulfill your role this morning. Let's both go before our Lord in prayer this morning. And what I wanna do is, I do this every time I preach, if you haven't noticed already, I wanna give you, you time before the Lord. I wanna give you time, maybe 30 seconds of silence, just to ask the Spirit to prep your heart, to humble your heart, to transform your mind and your heart and your lives this morning. And while you are doing that, I'm gonna spend time up here quietly praying and asking the Lord to aid me by his Spirit. So 30 seconds, you before the Lord, ask him to speak to you, and then I'll close this time in prayer. So this time is yours. Lord, your word is the sword of the spirit. I ask that your spirit would speak through your word this morning. Transform and renew our minds. Stir our hearts and affections for you and change our lives and how we live. God, we all fall under your word. We come before you as the great I am. Submit ourselves and say, spirit, move. Transform us this morning for the glory of your son, Jesus alone. In his name I pray, amen. So, like I mentioned, we are continuing our series in Ephesians, and we are gonna be in Ephesians 5 this morning, verses one to five. Our text here, uh, Paul is continuing his line of thought that he has established all the way back in chapter four. 
And it's this idea of pushing the church at Ephesus to obey, to live godly, and to honor the Lord. So in our text this morning, he's continuing on in that theme. You're gonna see a lot of the same phrases and the same idea of pushing towards commands. So as we're about to read through the passage, have that lens. As you read through, think, what is he telling the church to do and how to live? So read with me, verse one of chapter five. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather, let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. <clears throat> so did you see his commands, the new ones this week, where he's pushing the church to obey? I, I found five. As I was studying through, I found five commands that he is giving in this section. The first one is in verse one. He says, follow God's example. Follow God's example, first command. Second one is found in verse two. He then says, walk in the way of love. Third one, I kind of lumped all together, but let there not be a hint. No sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. It's the third command. The fourth one, also lumped it together, is found in verse four. He says, let there be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. That's the fourth one. And then the fifth one is hidden a little bit in there. And it says, but rather thanksgiving. So the fifth one I would say is not this, but rather let there be thanksgiving. Five commands that, that Paul is giving to the church at Ephesus here. <clears throat> now I wanna pause for just a brief moment and explain how I think our American church culture often approaches commands, how we often approach uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four through six, which is focused on Christian living and doing and obeying and honoring God. We have a mindset in America that focuses heavily on work ethic, on work ethic and effort, the strength inside of us. And if we just harness that, we can achieve anything. I mean, this is classified as the American dream, right? Put your mind to it, work hard, and you can achieve anything and live the dream. This mindset has permeated our Christian circles and Christian church as well. So that my assumption is many of us here are probably a mix of both in this religious circle. We are people who wanna work hard to try to be good Christians. Meaning, uh, the type of people that go to church. The type of people that try to be good, moral people. Want to obey God's commands. We wanna give him glory. We are the people who know right from wrong and are putting in work and effort to make sure that God is a priority in our lives. Sound familiar? I'm assuming this is, this is many of us. So when we come to, to sections of scripture like this in Ephesians chapter four to six, we immediately have this worldview that has been shaped by our culture. This is how we see commands oftentimes. So we assume if I've been given a list of things to do, five commands, then I'm gonna go try to do them. I'm gonna go try to do them by working very hard based on my effort. 
A good example of this would be uh, me growing up in church. I would, I would say I was not a Christian until I was 19 years old, but nonetheless, I grew up in the church, and throughout my teen years, I had a struggle with sexual sin. And I won't go into detail for the sake of audience here, but I had a regular, yeah, struggle with sexual sin. And to be honest, it wasn't even really a struggle. It was pretty much like I just failed all the time. A struggle is kind of like, oh, sometimes there's victories. It was a lot of falling into sin and falling short. So me growing up, I would hear commands like this in Ephesians 5, verse 3, and, and have no hint of sexual immorality, and I'd believe them. I'd go, oh, that's true. And if I claim to be a Christian, I should not live like this. I should not fall into this sin. That's not how Christians live. So temptation would come my way, and I would try really hard not to think those things or look at those things. But in the end, it seemed like I would still fail, and I would still fall into that sin. And what would happen immediately afterwards is I would have guilt and shame. Because I knew that's not how I'm supposed to live if I'm a Christian. So it would just stack and grow and grow. Every time I failed, my shame and guilt would only get greater. And what I would do then is I would promise myself, I'd say, I'm not doing that again. I can't, this is not how Christians are supposed to live. I can't keep living this way. I need to try harder. Because the reason I'm falling into sin is because I'm not trying hard enough. If I would just try hard enough, then I would be able to resist this sin. So I'd vow to never do that again, and then temptation would come my way again, and I would try to resist and say, no, I'm not gonna fall into that, and guess what I would do? Fall back into the sin. And the cycle would continue each time, me trying harder and harder and harder to not fall into it again. See, what I was doing is I was being a good American. I was being a good Lancaster County boy who took his strong work ethic and put it towards honoring God. Put it towards living holy and obeying his commands. I was just doing what my culture had told me to do. And the thing is, it didn't work. I continually fell into sin and it did not work. And it didn't even rid me of the guilt and shame that I did have. I wonder if any of you feel that way this morning. Like you are putting in a lot of effort and a lot of work into things and you're just not getting the result that you wanted. Maybe yours is with lust and sexual sin. You were like me, trying not to fall into that, but yet continually, no matter how much you try, it seems like you fall back into the same patterns that you vowed you were not going to do. Maybe yours is with your thought life. You struggle with anxiety or fear or people-pleasing or control, and your thoughts often spiral, and your mind is often racing, and you see how it begins to affect you, and then you see that it begins to affect other people. And so you try so hard to stay in control of your thoughts and your emotions so you don't let it go there, but still, you spiral. Still, you go there. Maybe yours is with your language. Cursing, sexual jokes, gossiping, slander, putting others down to build yourself up. Cutting remarks to your spouse, your kids, or your friend, and you see the hurt that it brings, and people have confronted you on about it, and hey, I think you need to stop this, and you go, okay, I'll try. But it seems that you continue to do it, and nothing actually changes. Maybe we just zoom out the whole way, and you're just like the Christian life. You hear so often, read your Bible, pray, go to church, serve, and you hear all these things. Your pastors keep telling you this, 
and you know you need to do it, and you have the right desire, but it seems like it never actually happens. Does anybody relate? Do you feel any of these things? How this causes us to feel constant failure of trying so hard and never getting the result, it causes us to feel like we've never done enough. It causes us to feel like we never arrive. It causes us guilt and it causes us shame because we feel stuck. We feel exhausted and wearied and tired from trying and trying and trying and no transformation, no change. Have you ever asked or wondered why? Why do you feel that way? Why does Christianity speak about freedom and then feel so burdensome? Why do I feel so guilty regularly? Why do I feel so stuck and so exhausted? I'm gonna suggest it's because we are trying to do all of these things on our own strength. We're trying to obey God's commands by our own efforts. And then the more that we fail, it only pushes us to try even harder and try harder and harder. And then we fail again, so we try harder. And it's exhausting. See, this is the lie that America that Lancaster is feeding us. Just try harder. Put your mind to it and you'll be able to accomplish it. And yeah, that might work. It might work in the business realm. It might work in the sports realm. It might work in the school realm, but it does not work in God's realm. It does not work and somehow make us able to be righteous in God's sight or able to obey his law and his commands. All of our efforts, all of them, cannot change us. All of our efforts cannot get the desired result that we are hoping for. So my plea to every one of you this morning is to, it's not about your efforts. Christianity isn't about you because you can't do it. It's just tough to hear. I promise you, you will never be dedicated enough, never strong enough, never smart enough to somehow obey and honor God on your own. You're never gonna be disciplined enough. You're never gonna be mature enough to somehow fight your sin on your own and somehow obey God. Every single person here, including myself, is not able to do it. Never. So from this sermon, from this morning in this text and scripture, I don't wanna tell you just more Christian things to go do. Here's some five more commands. Heap some burdens on you. Go live this way knowing that you can't. Knowing you can't fulfill it because I don't want you to, to go home this week and be tired and weary and exhausted. I don't wanna tell you, go walk in love. Go resist sexual sin because we immediately go into the mindset of, okay, how can I do that? And I'm heaving a burden on you and I don't wanna do that. Instead, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna show you what will cause you to obey. I want to show you what will motivate you to obey and then the very thing that will free you to obey. Seems like a contradiction. Free you to obey. See, church, it is possible to obey his commands. And I don't mean perfectly, obviously. There's no person here until we get our glorified bodies who will reach sinless perfection. But I am saying that there is hope for less exhaustion, less weariness, less shame, and less guilt. 
And quite honestly, it frustrates me a lot how often people in congregations and Bible teachers themselves miss these things. Scripture doesn't just tell us to go do a bunch of stuff because we're supposed to and because it's right. Scripture gives us reasons. Scripture gives us motivators that causes us to obey. So my prayer this morning has been for everyone that we would begin to see a new approach and a new perspective to the very word of God because I'm not making this up. It's literally right here in our text that we're gonna see. So I wanna look back at Ephesians 5, if you will do that with me, and see where Paul grounds his motive and his reason for having the people follow the commands. If you look at verse one, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Where do we focus most of the time? Follow God's example. Something to do. All right, now how do I go and do it? And we miss the fact that he says, as dearly loved children. Now, why would Paul add the phrase, dearly loved children? Why wouldn't he just say, go follow God's example? I mean, that's what he wanted them to do, right? So why add this little phrase, as dearly loved children? It's because Paul understands that the reason they are obeying is not to become children, it's not to earn God's love, it's exactly and precisely because they are his children. They have been made his children. He's trying to give the motivator and the reason in order for them to follow his example because they have felt it, they have received it. He's not saying go try on your own. Go follow God's example. He's saying experience God's example first as dearly loved children and then go reflect that. Same thing in verse two. Look at verse two. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He doesn't say, all right, church, I want you to go walk in love this week with everyone that you experience. He does say that, and that's right, and that's true, but he grounds the motive and the reason by saying, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. He doesn't say, go love on your own strength. He says, receive love. For if the love of Christ has been poured into your heart, you know what love is. And now you can walk in the way of love. Note, it doesn't come from you. It doesn't start from you. It starts from God, and then we respond. Starts from God, we respond. Not us initiating, not us in our strength. Now let's zoom out because once you begin to see this in scripture, you're gonna see it everywhere. Ephesians chapter, or uh, the book of Ephesians, the whole outline is Ephesians one to three and Ephesians four to six. We have been repeating this most of the weeks. Now why is it structured that way? What is Ephesians one to three? It's the gospel. It's the work of God displayed through Christ to make us one body, to forgive us of our sins, to make us alive. And then comes chapters four to six. Now go live, go obey, go respond. The book of Ephesians is literally structured this way. God's work first, then our response. God doing all the work, not our efforts, but mainly him, and now go go obey as dearly loved children. Let's let's take a step back and and zoom out even more. Israel, one of the most... um, talked about passages or events in Israel's history is them coming out of bondage of Egypt. So we have to first see that uh, they are already God's people. When God sends Moses to Pharaoh, he says, uh, let my people go. 
Already his people, he's already made a covenant with them, right? So for his name's sake, he says, I'm gonna take my people out of bondage, right? So they're coming out of Egypt, where are they headed? Red Sea. At the Red Sea, they've got that before them, and then the Egyptian army behind them, pursuing them. Israel starts grumbling. What does God do? Parts the waters, Israel walks through, and as the Egyptians follow, the waters cave back. Now, where do they go after the Red Sea? They go to Mount Sinai. And what happens at Mount Sinai? The law is given. The Ten Commandments are given. And right before he gives them in Exodus 20, verse 2, God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then says, now have no other gods before me. And then goes into the Ten Commandments. It's the same pattern all throughout Scripture. God called them to be his people. God brought them out of Egypt. God brought them through the Red Sea and then says, go live as my people. He does all the rescuing. He does all the saving and then says, in response to all that I've done, you now go obey. The constant story of scripture is it's not our efforts. It's not our strength. It's not our willpower. It is just people who have experienced the work of God first and then respond accordingly. This is such good news for us because it's not based on our strength. It's, most, it's mostly displayed through God's work and through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That is the means, that is the motivator that leads us to obey or rather respond in obedience. A response implies an action first. God does the work, we respond. So this morning, if you are feeling weighed down by the commands, if God's law has broken you to the point where you're exhausted, you're exhausted, you're just done with continuing to try and to try and to try and seeming to get nowhere, making so many efforts and seeing little transformation, I wanna say that there's hope for you. There's an Exodus story for you. There's Ephesians chapters one to three for you. There is gospel, good news through Jesus Christ for you. Because through Jesus, God has forgiven all of your sins. All of your sins. All the times when you couldn't Obey his commands and you fell short. Every single aspect, both past and future, is nailed to Jesus on the cross. So now it says, debt paid. It's done away with. He's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Through Jesus, God has called you his own special possession. He has called you dearly loved children. So now when God looks at you, he doesn't see your guilt. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your shame. He sees his son, Jesus. He sees his purity and his righteousness in you. Not because you had anything to do with it, but because God did all the work. God has lavished a love upon you that surpasses knowledge. I mean, think about that. Surpasses knowledge. The point is, it's a love that you cannot articulate or grasp. So now nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from this love. That means sin can't separate us from the love of God. Satan and all of his temptations can't separate us from the love of God. Death can't separate us from the love of God. 
Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which means our own self-condemning thoughts of ourselves also can't separate us from the love of God. God knew that you couldn't perform. God knew that you couldn't obey. He knew you couldn't fix yourself. He knew you couldn't rid yourself of your guilt and your shame. He knew you weren't good enough, which is why he stepped in and said, I'll do the work on their behalf. I'll do it all for them. I know know that they can't. For while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. While we were sinners, he said, I'll do all the work. For myself, this gospel, this reality, this freedom came for me, it became a reality at age 19. I was um, stuck in sexual sin. I was stuck in, in guilt and shame. I was stuck in effort and effort and effort and not actually getting anywhere. And the Lord finally stirred in my heart and he humbled me and he brought me to my knees because when I came to the end of myself and my efforts and my abilities, I finally looked somewhere else and said, who can deliver me? Who can help me? Who can get rid of this guilt and shame? Who can help me obey? Because I've tried and I've tried and it's not working. And I turned to Christ. And in that moment, I was freed. My shame and my guilt were gone. All of it. I wasn't guilty for my sin anymore because the blood of Jesus had cleansed my conscience and I received freedom and forgiveness to say the debt's paid There was joy inside of me, such joy that said, it's okay, Tyler. It's all okay. God has covered it. It's gonna be all right. I I didn't feel tired and exhausted from efforts. I felt a new sense of life and strength that didn't come from me. I felt loved by God. See, I had a faulty view that assumed if I tried hard enough and I obeyed God and I didn't sin enough, then he would love me and I would be a good child. This time, I came with my sin and my shame and all of my crap, and he still said, I love you. And I felt so tenderly loved by God, not based on my works, but based on Christ's work. So I tell you that this morning to say, with God, all things are possible. I have certainly still fallen short after becoming a Christian. I have certainly still tried in my own strength to obey and fight sin. I have still fallen into sexual sin after becoming a Christian. But there's a massive difference in how I act now. When those sins and those failings and efforts are revealed to me, I don't try to change myself. I go to the one who can change me. I don't try to do better. I run to Jesus and say, I can't do better. I need your grace. I don't rid myself of my own guilt. I say, Jesus, you know I've done, I've tried for years to do that and it doesn't work. The difference is now I run to the thing that does work, namely Jesus Christ. So church, there's hope for you. There's forgiveness for you. You can have a cleansed conscience. You can have rest, you can have freedom and it doesn't come from your works and it doesn't come from your efforts but rather it is found in the work of God as displayed through Jesus on the cross. So church, it's not mainly about our efforts, but it is about the completed work of Jesus Christ upon the cross where Jesus defeated death, where Jesus defeated sin, 
where Jesus defeated Satan, where Jesus defeated guilt and shame. And that way, he receives all of the glory. When it's not our works, we can't boast. If it's his works, we boast in him. So that what is said in scripture becomes true. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The band is going to come out and they're gonna end by leading the song, Build My Life. And in that song, we are gonna be proclaiming things like worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Holy, there is none beside you. So I'd encourage you to respond accordingly as the spirit is pricking and stirring in your heart. Maybe in your heart, you need to cry out and say, Jesus, I'm at the end of myself. All of my efforts aren't working. I'm turning to you. Will you help me? Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Will you strengthen me? Will you free me? Then I encourage you, do that. Don't resist. Don't hold back. Respond if that is you. Maybe this morning you have experienced freedom. Maybe you've experienced God's forgiveness and grace and mercy, seeing it's not based on your works, but it's based on his work then I would encourage you to give thanks, give praise to the God who has given you these things. So however you are led, maybe you sit and receive. Maybe you sit and reflect. Maybe you sit and you sing. Or maybe you stand and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus and his work. However the Spirit is leading you, I would encourage you, respond. Listen to his voice and respond accordingly. So as they sing this song, this time is yours to respond however you choose. Hey. 
received the good news of the gospel this morning, have been freed, have experienced love and mercy from the Lord. So the question becomes is, how do we now respond? What do we do with these commands? The thing is, now we have been freed to obey. Now we respond by saying, I want to follow your example, God. Now we respond in saying, I want to walk in love just as I have received love. Now we become the people who say, I, don't, I wanna abstain from sexual immorality and impurity and greed. I don't wanna walk at the, in, what, in those anymore because I'm freed from it. We become those who say, I don't wanna have any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, fill my mouth. But rather, I wanna have thanksgiving and praise be to the Lord. This is how we respond. This is why the commands aren't burdensome because the gospel frees us and we respond accordingly. So the band is about to finish this song, Build My Life. And they're about to sing the bridge, which says, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. So in light of this sermon, in light of this text, in light of the, the gospel of Jesus, would you sing these things out as a cry of people who are forgiven, who are freed, as dearly loved children of God, saying, I'm gonna build my life on your work. Not my work, your work. I'm gonna build my life upon your strength, not mine. I'm gonna live in obedience to your commands because you have loved me so dearly. So I would encourage all of us together to stand and to sing in response to all that God has done for us.
all sounded great. I can hear you back there. So thank you for singing. So how do we respond to all of these things? My prayer is that you have been filled, you've been reminded of the gospel and the love that is found in Jesus. If you would like to pray with anyone, we have our encounter room open there in the back under the stadium seating, or I'm sure anybody here next to you would love to pray and um, with you. So um, if you have any questions, or if you would even just like to share how God worked in you, I'll be up front as well, and I would be so blessed to hear how the Lord has worked in your life as well. The only thing I can think of after this is go live by the Spirit of God this week. Go live as dearly loved children, following his commands, knowing that you're forgiven and freed by Jesus. You are dismissed. We hope to see you next Sunday.